Good morning. How's everyone doing? All right. Raise your hand if you were with us yesterday serving out around the church. Yeah? Awesome. We had such a good day. And every year I'm reminded at this service, uh, looking out and seeing all of you guys and being around our, our neighborhood, around our church, um, I'm reminded that God is really alive and that he moves through this group of people and any other group of people that devote themselves and their time to his purposes. Amen? Yeah. And I saw, I've seen so much fruit from it, and he's not done. We're here today, and, and uh, Lord willing, the fruit will continue, right? So let's, uh, let's stand up. If you, well, you don't have to stand up if you don't want to. If you're comfortable, feel free. It's hot. But we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to praise his name, right? Let's sing.
sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Just 
surrender all to you. We gather this morning here in this beautiful, beautiful place to bring you glory, Lord. To praise you for the good work that you've done in our church this last week and, and before. To thank you for the good work that you're going to continue to do. We pray this morning as we've sung these songs that they've brought you glory, Lord. You receive all of it. 
Father, we pray that every heart, every soul represented would know the truth that Jesus Christ, your Lord, that you came and died for us, that any who believes in you might have eternal life. We're so grateful for it, Lord. And I pray that you would anoint Eric fresh. Holy Spirit, have your way. Move in this place. And be glorified in all of it, Father. We love you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to come out and be here in the park. I know that the elements are hot. I I hope to only teach for about an hour and a half. Would that be okay? But the reason that we're out here this morning is because we did a project yesterday called One Project. And today we're gathering in one place because we serve one God. Amen? And as we've been uh, looking at the book of Nehemiah and kind of tracking that this week, how last weekend, if you were in our services, we talked about the burdens. Nehemiah saw the broken walls around Jerusalem and he got to the place where he was grieved, he was agonized, he prayed before the Lord and God opened this incredible door for him to go back to Jerusalem. And we wanted to press into the need of our community and the need in our neighborhoods and our families and right in the neighborhood around the church. So thank you for coming out yesterday and participating in the one project. A few testimonies, a few stories. For me personally and my group that I was at, the highlight for me is we got to meet with a couple on Flint Ridge, just, just close to the church. And they had lived in their house since 1964. They were elderly and they just had a small uh, little pile in their front yard that they needed help with, as well as some milk jugs. The the gentleman was going to plant a garden, and he had probably stored about 100 milk jugs, but was never able to go ahead and plant that that garden. And so we just helped them with those few simple things and then asked if we could pray with them. And they they came to tears as we just prayed for them and some health issues that they have going on in their hearts uh, and and in their lives. Another testimony that I heard from another team that went out is that they helped at this uh, particular yard. And in that house, the the 15-year-old grandson had committed suicide recently. So you can imagine the kind of pain that they were under. And isn't it amazing that you can go to someone's door, offer to help them with things in their yard, and they'll open up with stuff like, my grandson committed suicide. I don't know about you, but that's a supernatural work of God. How many times do you open up to a stranger that comes to your door? What do I do when a stranger comes to my door? I don't answer the door. I say, why don't you move on? Whatever you're doing, just, just keep on going. I'm not, I'm not interested, right? But it shows how so many people are hurting and God is ready to do a work and, and a move. And our heart and our intent as, as a church is not just to have one weekend where we serve, but to be encouraged in that lifestyle of service. And I know you're doing that, that you're looking at other people's needs and their interests. And as you go to work tomorrow morning, as you drive back to your neighborhood in just a little bit, even as we're out in this park uh, today, to have our eyes open to the needs of others and the needs that are right around us. And we live in exciting times for God to do a tremendous work. And what we're going to be looking at this morning briefly is the celebration. We've looked at the burden Wednesday night. We looked at the work. We went out and did the work. And in the book of Nehemiah, 
the wall is completed. And after the wall is completed, there's a celebration. And that's what we're coming out to do this morning is we want to come and celebrate God's goodness. After the teachings, there's going to be baptisms. I encourage you to rally around those that are going to be baptized. Something I'm excited about is the taco truck is here. He's our taco guy and he's here and he's ready to serve you some tacos. Maybe you brought a picnic and just hang out and enjoy one another. The Church Cafe is here to, to sell us a meal. You can get a hot dog and some chips and some water for, for $3. The fountain's going to come on at 11 o'clock, so we, we want to make a day of it as much as possible. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 15, if you have your Bible this morning, and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness Lord, thank you for making us one body, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for this community that we live in. And as we look up at the mountains uh, this morning, as we see people driving by on the freeway, God, we just ask that your spirit would move in Colorado Springs, that your spirit would move throughout the front range, that many people would come to know your love. God, help us as a church family to see the needs that are right around us, to enter into your mission, to your commission. Father, would you give us grace as we study your word this morning? Would you break through distractions? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 15 of Nehemiah 6, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. 52 days, the wall is finished. The purpose of this particular wall was to be a rampart, to be a fortress between them and the enemy. In these ancient cities, you don't have security, you don't have protection, you don't have much hope for the future unless there's a wall. The temple has been built, which is wonderful, but with no wall to protect it, they're sitting ducks for the work of the enemy. And I am going to bring us to the direction this morning. The whole point of this teaching is that the joy of the Lord is our rampart. The joy of the Lord is our wall. The joy of the Lord is what causes us to have protection, security, and also to have hope for the future. And that wall can never be taken from us. That wall has been completed. Take note that 52 days is an incredible fast building project. They worked so hard to get this done in 52 days. If you take time to study the book of Nehemiah, the enemy, Sanballat and Tobiah, is coming against them. There's a point where they're discouraged because there's so much rubbish around them. Sound like our lives? Trying to serve the Lord, trying to do God's work, and there's just so much junk. There's so much rubbish. So they would actually lay bricks while others were watching in defense, standing the gap. There are times where they would be laying the bricks, but also have a weapon. Church, this is how the wall was built. It was built one brick at a time. And isn't that always the case? I'm sure there was moments in these 52 days, the only thing they took time for was to wash their clothes. And I'm sure they were all thankful for that. There was probably some conversations like, dude, you're stinky. <laughs> Husband, you need to go wash your clothes. I know this is important, but it's time to get yourself cleaned up a little bit. But now they're at this place of celebration. The wall is completed. It is, it is finished. Let's look at a few more verses, and then we'll jump to chapter 7 and chapter 8. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work had been done by our God. 
Submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. Until we get to heaven, we will not come to a place of perfection, but we can see God build walls around our lives. We can see God do, do that work of, of protection, and the enemy is discouraged. You stay close to the Lord long enough, and he'll get to the place where he says, I'm going to have to flee. There's no point in, in continuing to attack this believer in this particular way. Are you there this morning? Are you feeling the attack of the enemy? Are you discouraged? Keep building. Eventually, the enemy will be discouraged because he sees the hand of our God. Church, that's what we're all about. We don't want good ideas. We don't want to try to do things on our own strength. We want the hand of God to be upon us. We want to be the testimony of our church, the testimony of our lives. Is a group of people couldn't do this, amen? This is the work of God. This is God working in and through their lives. The enemy, he doesn't give up. Uh, if you look at verses 17 through 19, Tobiah, who is the enemy with Sanballat through the book of Nehemiah, he continues to attack, but Nehemiah doesn't let that bother him. He continues on in the work that God has for him. I'm going to go over to chapter 7, verse 73. That's a lot of verses in one chapter. Aren't you thankful that I didn't read all of those to you this morning? <laughs> you guys want me to? No, no. Let's go to verse 73. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people... The Nephilim and all of Israel went into their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. They come together out of all of their cities as one man, as one body, because they serve one God in front of the water gate. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Here we are gathering as one body in front of the fountain, one of our few features of water inside of Colorado Springs. If you're new to Colorado Springs, don't look for the springs too long. There's no springs in Colorado. I don't know why we got our name, Colorado Springs. Uh, I put sunscreen on, and now it's bleeding in my eyes, so I'm not getting emotional, just experiencing the power of sunscreen on my eyeballs. So they're gathered together as one man at the water gate. They say, bring the word of God, bring the law, which we should always do as we gather as believers, get in the word together. So Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the, the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So from sunrise till midday, they get together and they read the word of God. That's a long time. And you can see how their hearts have become attentive to the Lord. If you go on and read the rest of the chapter, it actually tells us they stood and listened to the word of God. Something to keep in mind is they didn't have access to the word like we do. They couldn't grab their Bibles and read through the Torah, the first five books of, of the Old Testament. The times that they would hear the word of God were times like this where the word of God was read to them. Now this is where it gets to the joy of the Lord. 
in verse 8. So this is chapter 8, verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. This is the vision of our church. This is what we do. If you're new to RMC, is we teach the word of God verse by verse. If you come to our weekend services, our Wednesday night services, we want to read the word distinctly. We don't want to give you our opinions, our good ideas. We want to give you what God says. And then we want to try to bring understanding to it, to explain it. So it's read, explain, understand. And when we understand the word of God, then it's powerful in our lives. Notice the response of God's people when they hear the word of God read and they understand it. And Nehemiah, who was the governor and the priest and the scribe, Ezra, the priest and the scribe, what a great team. Nehemiah built the wall. Ezra built the temple. Got these two men leading together, Nehemiah and Ezra. And the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God, not to mourn nor weep, for the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is preferred. For the day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat, drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them interesting section of scripture. The people start to mourn and weep. They're broken. Why? Because they understand that their sin is what caused them to go into captivity, caused the walls to be broken down. But what do Ezra and Nehemiah do? They say, gang, this is not the day for grieving. This is not the day for mourning. This is the day to take joy in the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's the message for us this morning is the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now consider three things with me and then I'm going to be done. Three things. The first thing is as we look at the joy of the Lord, we first rejoice in who God is. Who is God? And taking joy in his character, in his nature. On a day like today, I can't help but point you to God's creation that he is the creator. You look under the night sky, you see the stars, the sunrise, the sunset. You look into the eyes of your son, your daughter, your spouse, your friend. God's the creator. And we take time to rejoice in the fact that he is the creator. We take joy in who God is. And as we do that, the fortress of our lives, we have a wall around our lives because we can take joy in who God is. We think of God as our father, Our Father, this is a key understanding of the Bible and a key understanding of the scriptures that he's our heavenly Father. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel did not address God as Father. You won't find it there in their prayers. They address God as Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, the Holy One. It's important for us to understand that about God. But then Jesus brings us into a relationship with our Father, when we trust the finished work of Jesus Christ, where we get to cry out this morning as Abba, Father. Psalms 103 tells us that God is gracious, he's merciful, he's long-suffering. Church, isn't that good news? We would not be here this morning if God wasn't gracious and merciful and long-suffering. Take a moment to think of all of the grace that God has poured out in and through your life. 
We think of Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's the truth. You can trust it. If you're looking for truth, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Let's take a a small two-year-old. I see some two-year-olds in our midst, some babies in our midst. Let's take a a two-year-old that's potty training. They're your child. And you had the courage to bring them out to this service. The Lord bless you. You're awesome. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of this message, you hear these words, Daddy, I've got to go to the bathroom. Daddy, I've got to go potty. So you being a loving parent, you're sitting over here towards the back. You were smart. You got some shade. And you say, okay, son, all the way across the field, up those steps, around the corner is the men's restroom. Open the door. There could be a lot of messes in there. We're out at the park. We're out at America, the beautiful park. Be careful for those messes and those, those germs. Then you'll see the necessary equipment, the toilet. Go for it. Do you think that your son, your daughter would make it? Absolutely not. What do you do? You pick up your son. You pick up your daughter. If you're brave, you put them on your shoulders. You hope they're going to hold it until you get to the bathroom. And you become the way, don't you? See, Christianity is not, well, here's a bunch of rules. Here's what you've got to do in order to get to heaven. Jesus is the way. He says, trust me, believe in me. Hop on my shoulders and I will take you to the father. He's the good shepherd. He's the door. The list goes on and on of who God is. And this is the the source of our joy. So point number two is we rejoice in what God has done and what God will do. What has he done? He's shown himself faithful to his people. Amen? Throughout church history, throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, God has shown himself faithful to his people. What he's done, what he will do. What is the apex of what God has done for us? If you say, you know, I'm really not an expert at what God has done. So how can I rejoice? This morning, you can be an expert, and this is how, is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. God gave his son, his only begotten son, to die for us upon the cross, to rise again. He turned on the light. He caused us to be forgiven of our sins. The power of sin is broken. Death has been abolished. Death has been annihilated all because of the gospel, all of, because of what Jesus has, has done for us. When was the last time you just entered into the death and the resurrection of Christ and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving yourself to me. It's what he's done, but it's also what he will do. And this is the source of what Jesus taught us about joy. In John 14, his disciples were disheartened. His disciples were torn. They couldn't understand what was going on. But Jesus kept saying that he was going away. And what did Jesus tell them? Don't let your hearts be troubled because life is going to get better. Don't let, your tr- don't let your hearts be troubled because you guys are going to be the next governors of Israel. You guys are really set. You're, you're king's kids. Don't let your hearts be troubled because you've got easy street here on this earth. That's not what Jesus said, did he? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
then I will return and take you to myself. It was the future hope of what God will do that was their source of their joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is all of the feelings. Oh, I had a nice cup of coffee this morning. I feel happy. I didn't have any time for, for coffee. I feel very unhappy. <laughs> All of the emotions, I got a raise. Oh, I'm happy. I got a a new car. I'm happy. No, that's not joy. Joy is deep rooted in the character of God and the promise of eternal life. There was nothing easy about the life of the disciples. This group of men that Jesus was addressing, all of them were killed, were martyred for their faith, except for John. John was boiled in hot oil. God supernaturally saved him out of that. Then he was exiled to the island of Patmos where God gave to him the book of Revelation. It's not easy. Again, in this same section where Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, in this life, you will have tribulations. Let's just get that settled. Life's not gonna be easy. In this life, things are gonna go wrong. In this life, there's gonna be heartbreak. In this life, there's gonna be no source of joy, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? He says, it's the future joy of what I will do. This is the third point. This is the, the last thing. And I think it's the most important. We take joy in the Lord based on our relationship with him. We're not gonna go very far in joy if we simply know these facts about God. Most of us probably know about Warren Buffett. We know facts about him. You can read about the way he invests but that's really not gonna do a whole lot in our lives. But what if you were his son, his daughter, you were an heir to Warren Buffett? All of a sudden, you have entered into something that's entirely different. And see, God doesn't just say, well, this is who I am, I'm the creator. There's a lot of people that do acknowledge that God is the creator, but they're not in relationship with God. There's people that acknowledge that God is our father, but they're not in relationship with God. It's when we are in relationship with God, where we're enjoying the Lord, where we're worshiping the Lord, we're taking joy in him, we're connected to him, that then we find the second half of this verse. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When we take joy in the Lord, God provides strength. He provides that fortress. He provides that wall. So many times I enter into temporary and insufficient sources of joy. I think, oh, this this is going to be it. This is going to provide me joy, and it leads me longing, and my wall is broken down. The wall of my life personally is not protected. There's not security. There's not stability. There's not certainty of the future because I'm looking to the wrong things. But when I choose to look to the Lord, to take joy in the Lord, then God provides strength, and there's this fortress around my life because everything that I just mentioned, those three points, who God is, what he has done, what he will do, our relationship with God, there's no trial in this life that can take those things away. Agreed? Those are untouchable. We have an untouchable joy in the Lord. Does this mean it doesn't hurt? Does this mean it's not difficult? If you've gotten diagnosed with cancer, if you've lost a loved one, if you're struggling and you do you feel beat up this morning because you're like, man, I just, I just don't feel that joyful. There's this deep pain in my life. And there's this coexistence of the pain and the joy of the Lord. 
that the joy of the Lord isn't the absence of the pain, but it's God meeting us in the pain. So I don't want you to think that this always feels good, that this is always easy, but in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life to choose the joy of the Lord. The people of God left this text joyful. And I pray in just a moment as we enter into baptism and continued celebration that you would leave joyful. Believers, that right now you would just begin to say, God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're gracious, that you're merciful. Just allow your heart to go there, right in the midst of your hot seat. Lord, thank you that I'm not going to hell. This is going to be nothing compared to hell. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God, I want to thank you for what you have done on the cross, that all my sins are forgiven. Ah, thank you so much that I'm going to heaven, that you've prepared a place for me. How wonderful that place is going to be. You've overcome this world. God, I thank you that I'm in relationship with you. And then as we enter into a time of celebration to, to be joyful in the Lord. But also, I'm aware that some of you have questions about Jesus Christ that you've never chosen to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And in this moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Christ to be your Savior. I want to explain what that that means. I want you to understand what you're entering into. The guys worked hard this morning to get all this set up. They were out here at the park at five in the morning. There's a generator over here that they had to get set up. I'm hoping that these cords don't hit the water and then all of a sudden I get electrocuted. I trust these men. They've, they, they've, they've done a good job. But they had to take a moment of faith. They had to take a risk and they had to turn it on. You're sitting in chairs. You're sitting on a blanket. If you're sitting on a chair this morning, you're expressing faith. You trusted that that chair would hold you. When it doesn't, it's a bummer. Ever had that experience? You sit down on that chair and it cracks, it breaks, and you're on, you're on the floor, right? And this morning, I'm asking you to have faith to trust what Jesus says. And this is what Jesus declares to us in his word. And it's first that we're all sinners. What does it mean to sin? It means to miss the mark. And a lot of times we have this standard where we look at other people and we go, you know, I'm a little bit better than them, but we have to look at the holiness of God. And when we miss the mark just a little bit, that measure of error is sin. So we're all sinners. I think if you look in your heart and your life compared to the standards that God gives us, you know that you're, you're a sinner. I know that, that I, I'm a sinner. But then what gets really good is that God sent his son while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till you had your act together. While you were a sinner, while you didn't want anything to do with God, he died for you. It's all set up. God has given this offer of, of salvation. The wages of sin is death. It's talking about an eternal separation from God, not just a physical. There's heaven and there's hell. And what we choose to do with Jesus Christ determines where we go when we die, to heaven or hell. But the gift of eternal life is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then in Romans 10, 9, it tells us how to receive this free gift, how to come into relationship with God. We we realize we're sinners. We realize the goodness of God that he provided for our sins upon the cross. And then Romans 10, 9, and I'd like to read it to you this morning as I close and give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your savior. I want you to know that this comes right from the word of God. This is God's invitation. It says, 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not, you might be saved. God says you will be saved. To believe in your heart, that's the most important part, that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. That means turning from our sin, repentance, and asking him to take control of our lives. Come just as you are and surrender to him, but know for sure, receiving Christ as your savior, saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my master. And then to believe that God raised him from the dead for our sins. Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that all who believe are saved. If you would like to make that decision to receive Christ as your savior, as I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity right where you're at to stand up. And the reason to give you an opportunity to stand is to acknowledge before the Lord, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me and you rose again. Why is it important to stand? Because I believe that in the generation that we live, your faith is going to be tested. So why not start at the very beginning with a confession before the Lord, before men. I'm confessing with my mouth. I'm agreeing before God. Uh, Jesus, I believe you died for me. You rose again. I repent of my sin. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. If you know Christ as your Savior, would you pray with me right now? Jesus, we acknowledge that you're here, that you're with us. We take joy in who you are and what you've done for us and what you will do. And we ask right now that you would knock upon the doors of hearts to where that they would receive Christ as their savior, that they would say, I believe, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe you died and rose again for my sins. So Father, would you do that work? If you'd like to receive Christ, this makes sense to you. You feel Jesus calling you and drawing you into that relationship. Would you just stand right where you are, just stand up and say, I need to give my heart and life to Christ. So I'm gonna make this confession to the Lord, Christ save me. Wherever you're at and you're saying, yeah, I'd like to receive Christ, just stand, stand right up, right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to, to walk down forward. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. Praise the Lord. Anybody else today that says, that's me. I can't see everybody in the park. So this is between you and the Lord. And just praise the Lord. I see you there, young man, towards the back. Take this moment to stand before the Lord. God, I want to receive you as my Savior. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins, that you rose again. I realize that I'm a sinner. I confess that I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin and ask you to be my master, my Lord. Thank you for your promise that those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they're saved. And I receive salvation. I receive forgiveness. You can go ahead and sit back down. And Father, we rejoice in those that you have brought to salvation. We pray that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would walk with them in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God's good. Chance is going to lead us in the worship team in the last song, and then we're going to do baptisms uh, this morning. If you signed up to be baptized, uh, please come right where you see the pastors. We're going to explain uh, baptism in a little bit more in depth, but I'd like everybody to have an understanding. Baptisms is like my wedding ring. This doesn't make me married, but it is a sign of my commitment to my wife. And baptism's the same way. It doesn't save us, but it's the public declaration that Christ is our Savior. Also, baptism represents that 
Our sin has been buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life. So if you say baptism doesn't save us, why would we be baptized? Because Jesus asked us to. He commanded us to be baptized. So if you signed up, uh, please uh, come down. Also, if you didn't sign up and you know Christ as your Savior and you're saying, I really feel God's Spirit is leading me to be baptized, please come and we would love to talk with you, to pray for you, and to baptize you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, don't be baptized. Get saved, then be baptized. Amen? Because otherwise you're just getting wet. And I know it's a hot day, but there's a lot more attractive places to get wet. When the fountain comes on at 11, it's probably more enjoyable than this baptismal. But if you do know Christ and God is leading you, then please come and be baptized. Let's stand together. Let's take joy in the Lord right now. Let's lift our voices to God. Let's thank him for his goodness. Let's let's sing to him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Himself in life.
Awesome. I hope you guys have a great time fellowshipping. Let's support these guys getting baptized and praise the Lord. Have fun.